good place to start would probably be with an introduction, since most of you probably know me as the video guy, <laughs> which means that this next 35 minutes could be relatively polarizing for you, <laughs> and I recognize that. So uh, I actually, I have this experience a lot. People see me in a video, or they'll see me at Winter Wonder or something like that, and they'll then come to the venue, and they'll hear me preach, and they'll look at me and go, I had no idea. And you're like, well, yeah, I have a job here. Like, I actually work here other than being on those videos. And so uh, I have two roles here at the church, and they're wonderful. One of them is uh, next door I pastor the venue. Hey, guys, we did it. We, we're here. We made it. So uh, that's one of the things. And I love that because I get a chance to, to really minister to the six to 700 people that call that place home each week. It means I get to do their weddings, I get to do their baptisms, I get to dedicate their kids, and when necessary, I get to do funerals. And I get to minister to them in those really trying moments where life happens and it's kind of tough. And I love that. I love being able to, to be available to, to do that with them. At the same time, I've had the lead pastor role in the college group for the last three years. And uh, college group is great. Young adults are awesome. They provide tons of sermon examples. They're just full of them, and that's wonderful. So I'm very thankful to them for that. You'll hear some of those today. I thought the best way to start, we're going to continue today because this is my primary role, is to continue in Jamie's I Believe series. And we're going to talk about the idea of spirit and the capital spirit, like capital S, third member of the eternally existent trinity. Talk about his role in our life as well as this idea of new birth or spiritual birth. And we're going to kind of look at how those things interact. And to do that, we're going to be in John 3, primarily the first eight verses. But I thought this was a great way to start with this concept. And we look at this topic a lot, and it can be kind of hard to say, what really happened in that spiritual birth experience? In my study this week, one of the commentators gave an example. He said this. He said, I've recently moved, and I've lost my birth certificate. He wasn't extremely worried about it because in losing his birth certificate, what he recognized was it, it wasn't necessary for him to have his birth certificate in order to prove that he'd been born. The effects of birth were actually pretty obvious. You know, he was vertical and taking nourishment. He was breathing. This was obvious that the effects of a birth were there. And he said, you know, at times I wonder if as Christians we don't do something similar with our spiritual birth. We sort of make it, at, at times, the point of what it means to be a Christian rather than the beginning of what it means to be a Christian. He said, it's almost as if, at times, God wanted to give us this one shining, glowing experience with the Spirit of God and then sort of let everything from there sort of drift into survival mode or kind of trickle out to a finish line that would someday come. He said to think about conversion or the Spirit of God in this way would be the equivalent of me taking my birth certificate and framing it, putting it up on the wall, and then when people came into my home, I would bring them over and say, come over, come see this, this right here, this what's on the wall, my birth certificate, is what it really means to be alive. And none of us would think that way about life. And, and as we're breaking into a really big topic today, probably the best place of all to start is to pray. So let me pray for us. Lord, I recognize today that as we look at spiritual birth or we look at the presence, the existence, and the work of the Spirit of God in our lives, this can, for some of us, kind of be a great news. We've experienced a regeneration. We've experienced that spiritual birth. And so some of this will kind of us be looking at what is the Spirit doing in our lives since then. But for others of us here today, we're in a spot where we may be asking a lot of questions about what does that mean? 
What, what is a spiritual birth, and, and, and have I had that, or what does that look like? Maybe today's the day where they take a deeper look and maybe say, that's for me, that's what I want. And, and all of this is a lot, and so with that, Holy Spirit, today we give you permission. Uh, just please join us. We, we invite you in. Have your way in this place. Have your way with us today. We say this in your precious name. Amen. All right, so let's take a look at these eight verses that we're going to break down today. We're going to throw them up here on the screen, and I'm going to read them for us aloud. It says, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now, in my time of study in prep for today, I, I kind of fell in love with this little transaction between Jesus and this man named Nicodemus. But he kind of, Nicodemus brings a lot by way of background into this conversation, and it's important for us to color that in so you can kind of see his side of this discussion. Nicodemus is described two ways in verse 1. One of them is that he's referred to as a Pharisee, the other that he is a ruler of the Jews. Now, for Nicodemus to be a Pharisee, he would have gone through a tremendous amount of biblical training. And not just like so that he would understand the Bible. I mean, Nicodemus's first step into being a Pharisee would have been uh, go memorize the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Now, we're all pretty good at memorization, and I know this because when Jamie did his Philippians series, yeah, I'm sure you guys did a lot better than the venue, but here's what we did. We put the words up on the screen, and then we slowly started taking them down, right? And everybody was kind of supposed to memorize it as we go. And what, what I noticed in the venue, it was this, we would start to see people, and we would put the words up there, and everyone was fine, and then as we took some words away, we got a lot of this, whatever is whatever is, whatever is, and it was like, we're not memorizing at all. This is really hard for us, right? <laughs> and so what I want to draw attention to today is that that was not Nicodemus at all. As a matter of fact, this was the type of guy that if you'd gone to him and you'd said, Nicodemus, tell me the story of Noah, he would have looked at you and said, no problem, grab a seat. Let me quote it for you word by word. Jacob, Abraham, tell me about Abraham. Not a big deal. I got that. He would have had large portions, if not all, of the first 39 books of the Old Testament on Locke. So he brings an incredible amount of biblical knowledge. Now, this comment, a ruler of the Jews, is almost unanimously understood in the commentaries as his membership in a group called the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was a ruling group within Judaism. They had a lot of clout, and Nicodemus would have been kind of the equivalent for Judaism as to what we would look at as a United States senator. He was a big deal. And so in that, what Nicodemus brings to this conversation is he brings a lot of biblical knowledge from the Old Testament, and he brings a whole lot of clout. 
Now, being a Pharisee and a member of the Sanhedrin, he wasn't that groups, they weren't big fans of Jesus. We understand that, right? In fact, it's at some point, it's those groups that will put him on the cross. And so for Nicodemus to come in the way he does with this greeting is a little surprising. He looks at Jesus and he says this, he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs unless God is with him. Nicodemus, to be both a Pharisee and a member of the Sanhedrin, probably wasn't a young guy. He was probably older. Now, Jesus, by first century Jewish standards, was young. He's in his early 30s. And so what Nicodemus, a teacher, quote, rabbi, for him to walk in and to say, you, Jesus, rabbi, and then from there to sort of roll out the verbal red carpet, he's looking at Nicodemus and saying, hey, listen, we're viewing you as sort of on our level. He's showering a tremendous amount of praise at Christ, sort of almost wooing him, sort of kind of giving him a lot of praise. And really, the comment can be understood here as like, hey man, we, we want you in our club, right? We want you to be a part of our group here. And, and he's doing a lot of that in that phrase. Jesus kind of cuts right through it all when he says this, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. When did the kingdom of God become a topic of discussion here? It, it's not. In fact, this topic isn't on the table at all. And, and what I want you to see in this is that Jesus is going straight past the flattery, straight past all the blowing of smoke. He's going straight past the statement that's on Nicodemus's lips, and he's going directly into the question that's really in his heart. I, I think this is so important for us to see because Jesus is being far more relational than we can really see here with Nicodemus. He's being far more loving, and he's looking at him and going, listen, I know you're kind of trying to bring me into your thing over there with you and the members of the Sanhedrin and all the other Pharisees. You're kind of saying, hey, we view you as an equal. Come and, and come and spend time with us. And Jesus is going, as important as you think that is, it's far more important that you understand my thing. It's far more important that I go past what you're telling me you need, and I go into what you really need. This is great. The last two verses of John chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, they say this, and they set up this conversation wonderfully. It says, but Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them, because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he knew what was in man. He already knows what's going on inside of Nicodemus. I always, and I want to camp on this for just a second, I always love when scripture shows us that God hasn't changed. When we look and God is still doing a lot of the same things today that he was doing there, and I'll, I'll give you an example. I'll use myself, and I'm sure I'm alone here, but we all have these experiences where we go to God and we go, I really need this thing. This one thing right here, this is what I really need. If you'll just give me this, I can get through this really tough season. And inevitably what happens? We don't get that thing, and some of us foolishly, myself included, will go, see, God doesn't listen to my prayers. No, the reality is, just as a side note, he told you no and you didn't like that, okay? But, but let's, let's kind of move on from there. Six months down the road, what happens? You look back and you say, oh, God, I'm so thankful you didn't give me what I asked for. I'm so glad that you gave me what I really needed. You see, God in our lives, he's just so good because what he, he wants his best things for his kids, and there's times where we'll ask him for kind of one of those, will you give me this? And he goes, no, that's, that's like an okay thing. I want best things. And sometimes best things are hard. 
I want to give you best things. But I think it's important today, the next time God does that in your life, and you have one of those moments where you go, I really want this, God, will you give it to me? And it doesn't happen. I want you to look back at this section of scripture, and I want you to recognize he's been doing it for a really long time. This is not a new move for Jesus. It kind of leads us into one of these key phrases for today, and, and this idea of being born again can kind of be translated two ways. So I'm not going to bore you, but the, the construction in the Greek, it could either be translated born above, born from above, or born again. Now, everybody's pretty consistent within the scholars. They'll say this, whether it's born again or born from above, it all kind of points to the same thing in this passage, which is this, your key phrase, a spiritual birth. It's the idea of this kind of something new. And whether Jesus is saying here to regenerate, born again, or to generate, born from above, the point is that it's going to be a new thing within this person as he's describing it to Nicodemus. Now, for a lot of us, it's hard to see this because we don't have the background, and so I'll color it in real quick, but Jesus is speaking very specifically into an understanding him and Nicodemus would have held as Jews. He's speaking into this idea that to be Jewish was the idea of being born into the right family. You were born into the right family, and then from there you started to do the right things, and you remained ceremonially clean so that you could continue to worship. It all works as this wonderful system, but it starts with you being born in to the right family. And with this idea of spiritual birth, what Jesus is doing is totally turning Nicodemus' paradigm upside down. He's basically looking at Nicodemus and saying, listen, you don't get this, but I'm starting a new family, and this fleshly birth that you've experienced, it will do nothing to help you there. It's not going to work. This new family, you will need a new birth for I think it's easy for us to kind of look past this, but this phrase that Jesus uses, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It's kind of your key point today, and everything else we'll talk about will inform this, but it, it looks like this. It says, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again. I'll be honest, this is not something that people love to hear. Our culture very much cringes or flinches at this idea. I'll, I'll give you an example of, of kind of how we'll go places as pastors and they'll ask us to pray at secular events or things like that, and they'll say, you can say God all you want, but please don't say Jesus. Why? Because everybody's got a God concept somewhere, stashed away on a dusty shelf. They've got a God concept that they're comfortable with. We have a very pluralistic society, and pluralism would say this. It's, it's all-inclusive. It says whether you're a Hindu, whether you're a Buddhist, whether you're a Mormon or a Muslim, whether you're a Christian, we're all messing around with God and all leads to the same place. That's pluralism. I want you to see today that Jesus' claim here doesn't leave that option available. What Jesus is saying is an exclusive claim. I was sitting talking to a buddy of mine this week, Josh Reardon, he's one of our MITs here, and we were talking about this and he said, you know, Rustin, pluralism is inclusive. What Jesus is saying here is exclusive. In a culture that tells you everybody's doing the same thing, come one, come all, we're all getting in, Jesus right here is going, no, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom. That's a big problem for Nicodemus. He thinks he's doing it all right. And Jesus is basically saying this, listen, man, you, your bros, the Pharisees, right, or the Sanhedrin, all of you guys, you have to have a new experience. Your fleshly birth into the family, that's not really going to work for you. This is a do not pass go, do not collect $200.
Now, this clearly is turning Nicodemus upside down because you look at his response in verse 4. He says this, How can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus' response kind of clears that out of the way. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. When you're a young pastor and your senior pastor comes to you and he says this, Rustin, I want you to preach in the worship center. Memorial Day weekend. You're like, okay, here we go. This is going to be so fun. And you go off and you do a bunch of study. And so if you're me, you pick up, you pick up your first commentary and you're going to start digging into this passage, kind of getting a feel for, for what's going on. You pick up R.C. Sproul. Like, oh man, I love this guy. I love R.C. Sproul. Open it up to this section and I just start reading. I'm like, this is going to be great. Second paragraph. This passage has been problematic for me for 40 years. I still to this day don't know if I fully understand what it's saying. Well, I can't wait to preach it, right? I'll nail it. So it was like, oh, that's a good way to start, real confidence booster. Here's the reality. Sproul comes to a great conclusion, as does Carson and a bunch of the other uh, commentators that I read. And, and what they're saying here is so good because it continues to show just how relational Jesus is being with Nicodemus here. He is so patient. Jesus could have easily looked at Nicodemus and just said, hey, listen, I'm the son of God. Now, clearly, you don't understand that because the best you could do when you introed me was rabbi. <laughs> you don't realize how far short that falls of who I really am. But what Jesus is doing here, and this is, like I said, consistent thought, is that Jesus is speaking Nicodemus's language. Judaism would have understood two things to be necessary in order to, put, to enter into kingdom life. It would have been this, cleansing of water, cleansing was big in Judaism, cleansing with water, and two, for God to give you his spirit. Those two things were necessary. What does he say here? Unless you are born of water and the spirit. This idea is colored in in the prophetic literature, and this is something that, again, he's doing this intentionally because Nicodemus would have totally known this passage. It's Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 through 27. What's going on here is God is communicating to Ezekiel what he wants to say to his children, his people of Israel. This is what he says to him. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Well, what do you know? It's right there. You know, for me, I, I look at this discussion and I go, you know, it's kind of, it doesn't seem real fair that Jesus has expectations of Nicodemus here. Regeneration, new birth, these are New Testament concepts. Paul wrote a lot on them, but how would a Pharisee understand them? Because they're not New Testament ideas. They're biblical ideas that run the entire story of Scripture. This was God's plan all along to regenerate, to give a new spirit. And he's talking about that even in the Old Testament, which Nicodemus would have known. In fact, uh, Christ's expectations are so high of Nicodemus for him to understand this that in verse 10 he looks at him and says this, are you the teacher of Israel? Question mark. Like, do you really not get this? I'm speaking your language. You should understand that this is what it all meant. I am what it was about. I am the fulfillment of the story. Really what Jesus is talking about here is the idea, it's this theological 
topic of regeneration. We've said it a lot today, but it's the idea that flesh, like Jesus says, is flesh. Or more specifically, flesh has no ability to create spiritual things. I had a head nod that we kind of understand that today. Like, your flesh can do nothing to create something spiritual. I love the way Sproul said it right here. We'll throw it up on the screen, but it says this. It says, no one is born a Christian. The flesh does not produce redemption. You may have been born to Christian parents, raised in a Christian home, even gone to a Christian school, but none of those things make you a Christian. All that your natural birth has given you is flesh, and flesh of that sort is powerless to enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Unless you are born of the Spirit of the living God, whatever you do in your flesh will avail you nothing towards entering the kingdom of God. You really can't say it any better than that, but I think for some of us, it's kind of confusing as to what really happens when we have this conversion experience. How do we get to regeneration? Well, it's kind of referred to in the theological study called uh, the order of salvation, and we're just going to look at three parts of it today, but it sort of functions like this. At some point in our lives, if you have a saving relationship with Christ today, this is what went down. You heard a gospel call, and in that gospel call, you kind of heard the good news, which is what gospel means. You heard the good news of Christ, and when you heard it, maybe the first time, maybe the twelfth time, some of us, like myself, it takes a little longer to stick, but you heard it. And in that moment, you said, now, wait a minute, uh, that's right. There's something in that that's right. I've been giving God the Heisman for far too long now. I've been telling him I can do life without him. And in that, we have a willing response to a gospel call, conversion, right? We willingly respond. And when we turn to Christ away from our rebellion, we turn to him. And when we turn to Christ, we find ourselves nose to nose with the Holy Spirit. And it's in that moment that the Holy Spirit does what only the Holy Spirit can do, and he regenerates us. It's a spiritual birth. I, I love when people talk about these conversion or regeneration experiences, and honestly, our senior pastor's got a great one. Pastor Jamie will talk about how in his late teens, he came to know the Lord. And it was right after he came to know the Lord that all of a sudden, everything went into technicolor. Right? You've heard him talk about it. Life became so vivid. I had a hunger for the scriptures. I had a hunger to spend time with God that I had never had before. There's a reason for that. Because when the Holy Spirit does this thing that only he can do and gives us a new birth, all of a sudden it's like Ephesians talks about. We go from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive. No longer are the things of God folly to us, like Scripture describes, but a veil has been lifted, and we are now able to see and perceive His things because He has regenerated us. He has given us His Spirit, which He has put within us. We can now perceive those things. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that cool? And that's what happens in these moments. I just think they're so sweet. Jesus kind of piles it on here in 7 and 8, and he says this. He says, Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Prior to my study in this passage, I had a really bad perception of wind and my interaction with it, which was this. I would have told you if someone asked me, Rustin, have you ever seen the wind? I would have said, well, yeah, duh. I have not by the way, nor have you. There's air moving around this room right now via these air conditioners, and it's not in our way because you can't see it, right? 
Same thing, if we were to look at a tree and the wind were to be blowing, the wind would blow through the tree, some of those leaves would blow off the tree, and it would be easy for us to sit here and go, look, see, there's the wind. No, that's not the wind. That's the tree. It's moving away from the rest of the tree. We don't see the wind. What we see are the, the effects of the wind. Sometimes they're terrifying. If you've ever seen a hurricane, it's terrifying to see the effects of the wind. Sometimes it's refreshing, like a cool breeze on a hot day. What Jesus is saying here is this. You don't see the Spirit, you see its effects. You see the fruit of when the Spirit has been somewhere. You see what happens when the Spirit has been present because there's fruit, there's effects of what he's done. I'll give you a good example. Uh, As the college pastor, we get college kids that come in and out of the group. Some of them stick, some of them don't. We love on all of them. And so when they come in and they kind of become a part of the college family, we just kind of start, you know, hey, how can, what's going on? How can we help you? How can we love you? And about three years ago, I had a college kid come in, and there's no better way to say it. She's one of those girls that came in, and she just sort of had like a frowny face, right? Kind of a resting scowl, right? The RSF, resting scowl face. And so she would sit there, and like I would preach, and she would just kind of, and I was like, okay, well, whatever. And we just kept kind of ministering to her, and she, she was one of those people, she, she came from a background that was really tough, and I'll say this about her, I have seen few Christians fight as hard as this child has for her freedom in Christ. She came out of a background that was extremely legalistic and, and, and just really struggled with the idea of grace. And I'd get done with a sermon, and I would walk in and, and kind of be ready to field what other questions or whatever happened. And man, she would kind of sit around, and she would charge right up and just be like, you're telling me that this is how God feels about me when I do this? Yep, I am. Ugh! And then she would just <laughs> pull, and it was like, this is good news, right? And she's like, I'm just not ready to go there. And over the last couple of years, the Holy Spirit has done an incredible thing in this kid's life. I mean, just absolutely game-changing regeneration and just newness that I have watched kind of come to life in this kid. I'll I'll tell you this. uh, I was looking at her a couple of weeks ago, and she's just doing great right now. And I was sitting there with some staff, and she walked up. I just looked at her. I said, you just don't even look like the same person. You really don't, sweetie. I mean, you you look totally different than the girl who walked in years ago. And I'll tell you this, she's not the type of person just by personality who just smiles all the time. That's not who she is. But in the place of where a scowl used to sit, there is now this very subtle, very difficult to describe peace and joy that rests on her face. The Holy Spirit and what he's done in her life has physically changed the countenance of who she is right here. It's amazing. If I were to pull her up on stage here, I I wouldn't be able to sit there and say, see guys, right there, that's the spirit. Do you see it? The only thing I can do is look at you and say this. This is the fruit of the spirit. The effects of what the spirit has done in this kid's life, those are what you're actually seeing. The place where a scowl used to sit, now there's joy, there's peace. That's what the spirit does. What Jesus is doing with Nicodemus here is he's basically saying, listen man, you're looking in the wrong place. You're looking for a physical action that you can go and do, and the reality is you need a spiritual action to take place. You need something spiritual to occur because my kingdom is a spiritual kingdom, and it's there that a spiritual birth will be required for you to enter this family. I'm going to close us with this. Uh, I I really, and I don't think this is too presumptuous, I think everyone, uh, whether you're in one of our multi-sites, whether you're here on campus in one of our venues or in this room, I think everyone falls into one of two categories. 
and again, I don't think this is presumptuous. I think you're either in camp one, and I'll describe camp one this way. You've had a regeneration experience. You've come to know Christ. You're in a saving relationship with him. And if that's your camp today, what I would submit to you, what I hope you got out of this, is a solid nudge. I hope you got a little nudge, and this is what I hope it looks like. I think so many times as believers, we can kind of get sucked into subtle versions of what I described in the beginning, this idea that God wanted to give us this great glowing experience, but then the Holy Spirit's primary role in my life is what? To convict me of sin. He makes me feel bad when I do something wrong. I just don't think that's it. That's not the fullness of who that third member of the Trinity and what he's all about. I'll give you an example. I have college kids come to me a lot, and they'll look at me and they'll go, hey, Rustin, I got to make a decision. I got to go to this college or I got to go to this college. And they'll say this to me, tell me what to do. There's nothing I'm less qualified to do on this planet. I have no idea what you should do with the next four years of your life. But here's the reality. These kids don't want to go do the hard work at times of spending time with the Lord to discern his will for their life. And by the way, college kids aren't alone in that. There's a reality that for most of us, we're far more comfortable with going to a human being and saying, tell me what to do. And the deer in the headlights look comes when you look at them and you go, well, what's God doing in your heart about this? Um, well, I don't know. What do you mean? Now, I'm going to save you some time. Don't send an email this week that says, Rustin said godly counsel was a bad idea, okay? I'm going to, don't do that, okay? I'm not submitting to you that you shouldn't be seeking godly counsel. I'm telling you most of us have an order of operation issue. We don't want to go to the Spirit of God first and let Him guide and lead our heart. We would rather go to a human being and allow them to tell us what to do. If the, if the sole agenda in, God, for in your life from the Lord was just to get you to the right destination... He would have just put you there. But it's not. God's purposes in your life are to do this, to create a more dependent, more reliant child of God. It's like we act like our time on earth is it, and then it's over. He just wants me to survive. That's not it. You've got an eternity with him. What I want you to see today is that if your order of operation is wrong, God longs to be on an adventure with you. The Holy Spirit can't wait for you to wake up every morning so that he can continue to guide and lead you. Scripture refers to him as the helper, as the counselor. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you went to him for help? When was the last time you went to him for counsel? I know that this challenges us sometimes, but I'm telling you, I would rather this conversation that I described go this way. Rustin, I have to make a decision. I have to decide this college or this college, and I've spent the last month grinding it out with the Lord. This is what he's doing in my heart. This is where he's led me, and now I'm asking, will you kind of supplement that with godly wisdom? I'm going to multiple people to do this, but he's already put something on my heart. And guess what? Through seeking godly wisdom, you might find out you're wrong that you discerned something wrong and, and your heart is changed in that process. That's okay. That's not a failure because you're learning what it means to discern God's will for your life. I'll mess with you just a little further. I, I think this is great. It's, it's one of my favorite passages in, in John, and it's in John 16. So uh, 13 through 17 of John comprises this area that is referred to as the upper room discourse. And, and it's really Jesus' longest and um, really one of the more intimate teaching times that we have on record. He's about to go be crucified. That's happening kind of any minute now. 
And these are some of his last words to his disciples. Let's take a look. It says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Let me ask you a question today. Do you recognize that what you have in the Holy Spirit, living and dwelling within you, helping you and counseling you, is better than having Jesus Christ incarnate here on earth? It's probably not true for most of us. That's what this passage is saying. It's to your advantage that I go away. Why? So that the helper can come. Do you recognize that you have everything that you need for life and godliness? We probably just don't tap into it as much as we probably should. I, I can't say it any better than what I'm about to tell you, and I bring this up almost every time I talk about the Holy Spirit. It's an Anglican bishop from the 1800s named J.C. Ryle. He talks about the Holy Spirit this way. He says, The Holy Spirit is beyond a doubt the greatest gift which God can bestow on men and women. Having this gift, we have all things, life, light, hope, and heaven. Having this gift, we have God the Father's boundless love, God the Son's atoning blood, and full communion with all three persons of the Blessed Trinity. Having this gift, we have grace and peace in the world that now exists and glory and honor in the world to come ask you a question today, and this is where I'll leave camp one. Do you recognize that the Holy Spirit is beyond a doubt the greatest gift which God can bestow to you? I just kind of leave you with that for camp one. Now, camp two. If you're in camp two today, you may be having a very different experience. A, a regeneration in your life, a spiritual birth, may not have occurred yet, and that probably leaves you asking this question, what now? What now, Rustin? I mean, yeah, that's great. And I'll be honest, some things are sort of being triggered in my heart today, and I don't totally know what to do with them. I'd submit this to you. If something's being triggered in your heart today, it's not because I'm saying this well. It's because God's tugging on your heart. And I'll do this. Today could be the day where you have that moment where what I'm saying is your gospel call, and you recognize today that you are in need of God, and that for far too long you've told him to go away. That he's been knocking on the door of your heart for a long time, and today is the day that you go, I'm tired of living life without you. I recognize that it is good news that you're here. It's great news. And I'm ready to willingly turn to you. And I'd submit to you this. You might be getting ready to come face to face with the Spirit of God for the first time, and he's about to do what only he can do, which is regenerate you. If we're going to continue our study in John, we'd come to the most famous verse in the Bible. You can't watch an NFL football game without this one coming up, right? It's this. I'll, I'll read it for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. If you're in camp two, today might be the first time that you hear God didn't come. He didn't send Jesus Christ to condemn you. He sent him to save you. And that's good news. That's gospel. Here's what I tell you today is if you're in this camp and you're sitting there asking some questions about what next or what now, I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a minute as I close this in prayer to just follow after me in prayer and make this transaction that I described over here a reality in your life. And, and all I'm going to say is just, hey, if you're in camp one and today's your day, follow after me in prayer. I'll lead you through it. 
We're going to go to our elder fun time in just a minute, and I'll describe that. But before we do that, let me pray for both camps today. Lord, we recognize that at times this topic of spirit, this topic of rebirth and everything that's wrapped up in it can be a challenge. It can be really hard for us to to wrap our head around what's going on. For those of us at times who are believers, it's, it's even stretching for us to wrap our head around the idea that you're excited to be with us, that you're pumped for us to wake up so we can go through another day of being on this adventure with you, that that's an exciting thing for you, that in your desire for relationship with us, you don't desire for us to do it without you, but side by side we walk through life. Lord, for for Camp One today, my desire is this, that you will just continue to knit these truths into their life, that it might stretch them a little bit and might take that view of the Spirit and just bump it forward, that we would continue, all of us, to become more reliant, more dependent upon you because you will never leave us, you will never forsake us. For for Camp uh, Two today, Lord, my, my desire is this, that this what now question would lead to a response. Lord, for anyone who's in this room who needs a little nudge right now that needs that little bump, Lord, would you give them great courage to respond right now? And if that's you in any one of our campuses or multi-sites or you're in this room, if, if that's you and you're ready to respond willingly to this gospel call, just repeat after me quietly to yourself right now. Heavenly Father, I recognize today that I've been fighting you for far too long that I am in need of you and that pushing you away, keeping you at a distance and pretending like I can do life alone without you has gotten me nowhere. I recognize today that I need you. I recognize my need for you. And it's in this need that that I recognize I've been in rebellion. I've just been running away. And so today I repent I just, I change my mind about life without you. I repent from my sin. I turn from all of this to you now. I receive you as my Lord, my Savior. I am ready for you to regenerate me and to lead me through life. I want your best things for my life. I want you at all costs. Thank you for loving me while I was still a sinner. Thank you for saving me. Amen. Amen.